Hey y'all, I'm Maddie, author, speaker, and certified sommelier. I think we can all agree that life can get pretty tough at times. So I'm going on a journey to uncover how some of my favorite people are chasing joy in their lives. And I'm bringing you along with me. Through personal stories and funny encounters, I'm chatting with authors and entrepreneurs, musicians and brands to learn how they hang on to the good in life, even as the trouble comes. Because as life gets hard, joy is a choice we can make together. I'm Maddie, and this is the Enjoy Life Podcast. Hello, Enjoy Life fam. Our guest this week is maybe one of my favorite new friends to Nashville. Laura Osnes has been here in town for about a year after spending a decade and a half on Broadway. She has been in everything from Greece, South Pacific, Anything Goes, Bonnie and Clyde, Bandstand, and yes, she played Cinderella. Come on. She now works in film TV with Hallmark and has just released her own album as a singer-songwriter, her debut album On the Other Side, which we talk all about. We bond immediately over our love for rom-coms. We lament that I feel like besides Hallmark, there just aren't good rom-coms coming out anymore. So anyone in Hollywood, this is what Laura and I want. We want some rom-coms. We also take a beat to do some wine talk. One of her recent films with Hallmark was called Raise a Glass to Love, in which she plays a woman seeking her master sommelier certification, which obviously is such a passion of mine since I've gone through a much lesser version of that exam. And so we talk a little bit about her experience in training for that and filming it in wine country in Canada and sort of what that meant to her, which is super fun. And then, of course, talk about all of her time on Broadway. It's a really cool and unique story as to how she got there. She was cast as Sandy for Greece through a reality show when she was 21 years old. Went to New York and never left and had a thriving career there. And as I said, maybe was most well known for her role as Cinderella in this beautiful script rewrite of the original story that was sort of tweaked for Broadway and also kind of turned Cinderella's character from kind of the soft-spoken, meek one that we may be used to with the cartoon and really empowered her and kind of made her the leading force that went after the prince and kind of asked him out. I mean, it's a real cool like story shift that I'm not going to tell right here, but listen in for her to give all the behind the scenes of that and just what the family of Broadway meant to her for all those years. And We, at the end, touch on how, unfortunately, that family really turned on and betrayed her in the last couple of years, just that through gossip and sort of false narratives around her vaccination status, she was so quickly canceled from Broadway and the New York community, and and that that was the catalyst for her and her husband moving to Nashville. And even through that pain and loss, she's just remained so hopeful and, and faithful and optimistic and just saying that already, even with that heartbreak, she sees God expanding her vision and and opening doors here that she would have never, ever pursued on her own and saying she thought she was a lifer in New York. And now she loves the community and the peace and and the new opportunities she's found down here. We talk all about her new album on the other side. And I just love this woman's heart. We have so much fun in this. And I think you guys are gonna love getting to know Laura just as much as I did. excited to meet you because you live in Nashville now. Well, Franklin, so we're actually doing this in person 
and we are new friends. So I can't wait for all of my friends to meet you. Indeed. I thought you're in the neighborhood. Like, why not <laughs> relish in the opportunity to actually be face-to-face? So totally. thank you. You're welcome. How we love to start the show is asking if you could choose a walkout song for your life right now, like a song that's bringing you joy, pumping you up, spurring you on. What would be the song like playing behind you as you walk in this room today? Oh my gosh. Maybe like fight song. Yeah. Like, this, this is, is my I'm fight song. I'm not going to sing because you I know, you're exactly. Like, <laughs> or like, like walking through the, immediately my, my brain went to like, my, one of my songs. <laughs> yeah, that, please, <laughs> which is like which thick, we're talk thick about. skin, soft heart. I'm like, here we are. Okay. Like we're coming out the other side, um, which is also the name of the album. What else? Something I mean, about... those are perfect answers. Yeah, okay, good. Yeah, fight song and your songs, which I want to talk all about. But first, I got to know, was it music first for you or acting first for you? Because you do it all. Well, thanks. I think it was music. I started taking like dance lessons when I was five years old and voice lessons when I was nine. I always loved singing and used to listen to musical theater, like cast albums in my living room and act them out. I sang Castle on a Cloud from Les Mis and my kindergarten talent show. So yeah, it started very very young for me. Yeah, very old soul singing Les Mis in kindergarten. Yes. I mean, playing the five-year-old, but yes. That is hilarious. (laughs) I love that. So I want to start kind of where you are now, which is you've started doing a good bit of work with Hallmark. Yes. So as a hopeless romantic, dare I say, we're close to the same age, and I feel like we grew up in the golden era for rom-coms, right? Like mid-90s, early 2000s. And I feel like we have nothing now. Like what's happened? Where have the rom-coms gone? Tell me about it. Uh, My family and I talk about it regularly. Right? Wait, where, like what was the best, most recent rom-com that came out that was reminiscent of the era that existed when we were growing up? And I'm like, you can't really think of one. We really like Crazy Stupid Love. I I don't know if you know that movie. It was on the top of my tongue. I was like, that's the last one. That's that's yeah. that's the one we say and I was like that's been a few years yeah. and it was great but yeah no I know I grew up with all of those too and I am also a hopeless romantic yes. and uh, yeah where I don't the get it gone? they're maybe always we, a hit maybe we have to write them I listen it is on my bucket list to write a screenplay I have no experience or business doing it I took one semester of screenplay writing in college that's all I have to offer but I'm here for it. I believe the people in you. love it, and it's dry in Hollywood. Like, get it together. If anyone is in LA and a producer, this is how we're Laura ready. and I feel. We're, we're ready, ready for it. Give us a call. <laughs> Did you have a fave as a kid? I mean, I love The Notebook. Always. I mean, that's that's and that's kind of its own kind of genre of. That's not really a calm. 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 There's uh, some calm in it. There's, but, yes, yeah. there's a little bit. But that's I think one of my favorites growing up. What was yours? I want to be inspired by a few. It's Sweet Home Alabama. It just oh. is. It was. It always was for me. So good. I think I have. I've always been a Reese fan because she's from Nashville, and love I her. love that. Love her. And it was my late husband and I's favorite movie. So that's. It's even more special now. But that one and How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days is lame as it is. I was say ten things I hate about you. So funny and yes. like McConaughey in that era. I'm like, come on, how do you beat that? We rewatched that movie during like quarantine time. Yes, and I was yes reminded of how fabulous it was. Yes. Oh, it's so good. So. It's a big adjustment from how long on Broadway? 10 plus years? I was in New York years. for four, yeah, 14 yeah, years. 14 years. Was that a hard transition for you into film? Was it exciting? Like, is it a, as big of an adjustment as I feel like it probably was? Yeah. You know, I think TV film was something that always kind of 
scared me. Mm-hmm. I grew up on the stage and that was my comfort zone and that was my passion, honestly. Yeah, like yeah. that's what I loved and felt that I was created to do was to be on stage acting, singing and dancing. And I would audition for TV film stuff and not have a lot of success. I didn't book TV film stuff for like eight years of auditioning. So I think that my mentality was like, I'm not good at this or like, it's not my thing. And then finally the Hallmark thing came up. I actually did not audition for my first Hallmark movie. I knew someone who knew the director who put my name in the hat. The character had to sing in the movie and I got an offer for it, which was a miracle, a total miracle. And I accepted but I remember thinking I'm so green I have no idea what Mm. I'm doing I haven't done this before and I don't book tv film stuff and all of a sudden I'm having to lead a Hallmark movie right so I started like doing some research do you know the series Masterclass yes you know yeah yeah yeah, for sure I watched Natalie Portman's Masterclass series to be like okay she's an actress I can look up to she's kind of like me like that's awesome yeah I want to learn you honestly favor her a little bit oh hey I feel like thank you I don't know if you get that off like her and Rachel McAdams yes probably like for sure two of the few I've had as doppelgangers perhaps so I tried to just kind of educate myself and I like called my parents and I was like, I'm so anxious. Pray for me <laughs> yeah. leading into this that yeah. I can step up to the plate and offer what it takes. And I was like, I remember coming in with a humble attitude. I talked to the director and I said, this is the first time I've ever done this. Like, feel free to take me under your wing and teach me on set. Yeah. I'm here. I am, you know, I, I want to be a tool. And the director, Claire Niederprom was amazing. And she was so lovely again, around our age and a female. And so I felt like I could really trust her and she helped empower me in my first film and honestly after the like first or second day on set I was like oh okay I get this it's really fear of the unknown and then the minute you are in it and you get to experience it you realize it's not as bad that fear kept me from I think doing it for a long time and now I love it yeah well understandably so it's a big change and I feel like this is such a testament to natural talent versus preparation and hard work. Like you obviously as an actress and a singer and a dancer have the talent to be on screen and be on film, but you also did the work. I mean, you didn't just try to skate in and fake it till you make it. You did the masterclass. You were honest with the director, you know, <laughs> yeah. and that does take humility and probably some fear of, you know, oh my gosh, are they going to cut me and find somebody else. Exactly. So I think I just, I admire that because I feel like in that industry, it probably is unusual to come in with that sort of generosity. It's a balance because obviously I wanted to be a leader and I had done that for years on Broadway. So part of me knew that and just trusting that I was cast for a reason, but not walking in like a know-it-all going, I know what I'm doing. And I was so grateful that Hallmark was loyal to me. Like I passed the test enough that first time for them to ask me back to do a few more. And with each one, I grew in my confidence and grew in my, I think, skill level too of knowing how to be on set and what it was the difference between acting on stage and acting on camera. And I still have a lot to learn. Yes, I'm sure. Well, one of your projects with Hallmark is called Raise a Glass to Love. And because I'm a certified sommelier, which I call myself retired because I haven't been in that industry for a few years, but I'm still a very overeducated consumer. And I want to know about that movie. I want to know, like, were you a wine girl going into it? Did you really, was there any sort of actual wine education or were you just sort of doing the script? Like, I want to hear all about it. I am fascinated and honored to be talking to you (laughs) about this because I had no idea the work and the time commitment and the level of knowledge it requires to be an official sommelier. What level are you? I'm the certified, so I'm just the second. Okay, okay. The crazy competitive part of me after I did the second was like, I'm going to keep going. And then I thought the time that this takes and the money that this takes, 
I'm going to take a little, have an honest little talk with myself and just be grateful to be here. It is like you have to, it has to be your life. It's your if life. If you're going to be a master sommelier, yes. which is what the movie is about. And that's what I learned. I watched the documentary Som. Yes, it's so good. So good. And again, fascinating. These people spend their whole lives learning everything there is to know about mm-hmm. wine. And you think about the vast. It's endless. It is endless. Endless. It's There's a million wines made from a million regions and a million grapes in a million years. Yes. And you have to know it by tasting it. And by looking at it and by smelling it and like, it's just, it baffled my mind. Tell our people what your role was and honestly how they bookended the film, which were the yeah. scenes I want to talk about. Yes. So the, my character is studying to become a master sommelier and there are only what, like 20 women. There are only maybe 150 in the world, depending on the year and not for many women. So this, the movie opens with her taking her test to become a master som. And there's three parts to doing that. It's a written test, a taste test, and a knowledge. Or wait, what's A service the... test. Oh, and yeah. a ser- oh yes, yeah. service. Yeah. You have to like open the bottle yes. and pour the yes. wine. We catch my character taking the test and she thinks she does a good job, but misses one of the taste tests and doesn't hit the nail on the head with one of her wines and she beats herself up about it and she ends up going back home her family owns a winery of course and her <laughs> her grandmother was very much into wine so she feels she has to carry on her legacy and she ends up I don't want to give it away but it's a Hallmark movie you know yeah. what's gonna happen she ends up falling in love with the kind of the winemaker and the caretaker of the vineyards of her father's property and we see her take the test at the end after a whole year has gone by of her really developing her relationship with wine, but it, it grows from experience right. and her relationship with it is so different because she's fallen in love over wine mm-hmm. instead <laughs> of just trying to get the details correct. And then she, we see her take the test again and she has such a personal connection to each of the wines that she is tasting now that she ends up passing the test and it's exciting. So what was your experience like going through the sommelier test? I mean, it's a lighter version of what you enacted and what you saw in the psalm. Do you feel we like did it semi-accurately? I, I thought it was very accurate. Of the four levels, I'm the second. And when you do that, it's the same format. It's the theory test, the actual knowledge test, the service test, which was the worst for me. That was hard for me. I don't really open wine bottles. My husband always does it. And then the tasting. So with the certified that I did, it's only one white and one red, where with the master, what you were doing, it was three and three. Five or six. Yeah. 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 And you don't have to do it audibly at the certified. You do it on paper. So that just a, a lack of that pressure from everyone sure. <laughs> looking at you have <laughs> time to process. But no, honestly, it was super accurate. That's I enjoyed it so much. I thought it was cool. And and truthfully, really connected because I did basically in about a year, year and a half, fell in love with wine, wanted to move into that industry, was 22 and a female in a very male-nominated industry. And I remember thinking, I don't have experience, so I have to have the most knowledge, uh-huh. much like your character. And have always been a student. So I did. I labored over it. And I knew more than everyone in my tasting group. Good for you. Because I thought I should. And then I remember taking the test and being like, something's missing. Like, I see all these people like, you know, your counterpart in the movie, who's your boyfriend and part of it. And they're so serious. And I remember thinking, I don't want to progress in this to a point where I lose the love for it. And I got an internship, totally godsend. I should never have gotten hired for this at a pretty prestigious winery in Napa for their harvest season, which is the fall, was literally just like grunt work labor in the cellar. Okay. It was not a, it was not a glamorous job. Hmm. It was a really hard 
physical job, but it was so magical to be out there and like connect and pick through the grapes and clean out the tanks and just like see the labor that goes into it. And I walked away from there being like, I will never disparage a $10 bottle of wine because somebody worked really hard. It is art. And made intentional choices. And it may be cheaper than what I want. And it may not be the style that I like, but I'm not going to, you know, be too pretentious for anything I'm going to appreciate because I know it's gone into it. And so I feel like I just connected so much with it. Yes. I love it. That is beautiful. And I have a whole new appreciation for yeah. wine as well. I would say I, I was always like, sure, I'll have a half glass or a glass. I don't drink tons of wine. But we shot the film in Kelowna, which is like the wine country of Canada. Okay, yeah. Actually, so we were up in Canada. But like every weekend, well, the cast would get together and we'd go visit wineries up yeah. there as like, re- quote, research. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, have really fun weekends, you know, visiting the wineries and yeah, I've, I drank more wine, you know, in those three weeks shooting the movie than I have, I think, yeah. my whole life. But the wine in the movie was a non-alcoholic wine. It was, it wasn't like grape juice. They uh-huh. just had stripped the alcohol. So it was pretty dry. Yeah. You know, take after yeah. take, I was like, I, I, think I need some water. water. <laughs> totally. That's so funny. But uh, that was, I think, my favorite Hallmark movie I've ever done. We had a really great team and I, I loved, yeah, working with Juan Pablo. And it was super we had, cool. We had a ball. When you do have wine, what's your go-to? Uh, I can do... Like a Cabernet, probably, like a red or some like crispy white, like a yeah. Pinot. Yeah. Yep. I'm a big, I'm French whites and Italian reds is my love. That's just where I live. You can't go wrong. I love it. Well, it's very exciting. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for bringing that up. <laughs> Thank you for talking to me about it. Let's talk about Broadway because that's where you began your career. You spent 14 years up there. Tell us for people who don't know your story, you're from Minnesota. Yes. So how do you go from a teenager in Minnesota to 2021 yep. on Broadway? I have a very unique story. I won a TV reality show in 2007 called Grease, You're the One That I Want. (laughs) And it was to cast the leads of Sandy and Danny in Grease on Broadway. And I was actually playing Sandy at a dinner theater at the time in Minnesota. I left college early. I only went for a year, studied musical theater, but then got offered a job to work in Minnesota interning at a theater. And I decided to take the job opportunity thinking school will always be there. I can always go back to school. And I just continued working. I never ended up going back. So I was playing Sandy in Minnesota and found out about this mass national audition for this reality show. I flew to Los Angeles, got permission from my director in Minnesota to leave for the weekend and kept making it past the next the like the next levels. And I had to I ended up having to leave that production in Minnesota early to compete live on TV every week. It was much like American Idol where yeah. we sang live on TV and America voted in and a huge miracle ended up winning that competition that cast me as Sandy and yeah. Grace on Broadway when I was 21. That's awesome. And was that like, okay, a dream has come true. I have no fear I'm going. Or was there a lot of, was there any doubt in that? I mean, that's a huge, huge risk. transition. And you've left school and, you know, that's. I think what happened was I had this thing in my heart that was like, go. Like I felt like, Call, I felt called to yeah, go out there yeah, and do it. Yeah. And I think, again, it's easy to let fear get in the way. And a lot of things had to go right for it to happen. And yet they did. Mm-hmm. It was like open door, green light, yeah. boom. And so when I won, uh, there was, yes, fear of the unknown, as we've already talked about, yeah. going like, this is going to change my life drastically. But it would say 80% of it was dream come true. I was also engaged at the time. So I knew like... We were going to get married right Mm -hmm. after, like in two months. And then I had to be in New York a month after that. So I knew I was going with Nate and it was going to be a cool way to like jumpstart our lives together in New York. Yeah. I mean, Broadway is the iconic, you know, the glamorous, the heart and soul of theater, right? Did you, once you got there, 
Was there like ever an I made it moment? I feel like you think there will be and maybe there is and maybe there's not. Maybe you just acclimate and adjust. And what was that like for you? You know, I think it's so interesting. I think, you know, society defines success in so many different ways. And for me, you know, it really was a dream come true. And I remember like seeing your face on a billboard in Times Square. (laughs) Yeah, that's wild. I've made it. That would be an I made it moment. Yeah, like like maybe that's it. But, you know, you can always find more reasons and things to satisfy Mm. you on this earth that will never really satisfy you. Mm -hmm. So I also learn that lesson very quickly that it's like you don't keep striving and climbing the ladder it's like okay that billboard happened then what yeah well now I have to get a Tony nomination well then I have to win a Tony well then I have to do this before you're ever satisfied and before you like feel like you've made it so yes definitely had those things but also like those I also knew that I couldn't base my worth off of you know what those things it's hard to keep dreaming and also teach yourself to pause and enjoy the success that you're experiencing right now. Like, that's just a hard thing to do. For sure. And it was, you know, a total blessing. And I have a very unique path, like no one else other than my co-star for that show, Max Crum. It was to cast Sandy and Danny. Okay. So we won well, that's that, nice. We won that thing together. together. Yes, yeah. and we had each other. So, But no one else really has that story of winning a reality show that cast them on Broadway. And it did kind of change things. Like overnight, there was suddenly a built-in fan base. And, yeah. you know, the stage door and doing press and interviews. And it was a little bit of a culture shock. But I'm so glad I had Nate, as yeah. I said, to kind of keep me grounded. For sure. So part of what I imagine is the biggest, one of the biggest challenges on Broadway or theater acting is just that it's simply live and there's an audience. Do you have any, I'm just curious, like memories of a crazy botched moment or like yes. just like an epic recovery that... Yes. We would never know happen. I'm so glad you're mentioning this. So many things happen. It is. It's a live, it's a living, breathing organism. Yeah. And things go wrong all the time. And our job is to cover it up. But that's also the thing that keeps it exciting. Mm-hmm. You know, people are like, how did you do 400 performances of, you know, Cinderella? And I'm like, well, it's different every day. Yeah. It really is different, even though you're doing the same thing. I've had a lot of like trips and falls, like very embarrassing, you know, just straight up slipped on soap in South Pacific and, you know, lots of bruises and little cuts and scrapes and blood on costumes. I've been elbowed in the face, my lip puffed up for like a week. Also, like things go wrong, like little wardrobe malfunctions. I had a zipper break during a quick change once in my dresser. So they're like ad-libbing on stage because it was a quick change that I'm missing. So they're like making up words because I'm not ready (laughs) out there. And my dresser like sewing me into my dress before I could go back on stage. Let's see what else. Like lines that are flubbed. Like I've like made up gibberish lyrics before. <laughs> I lost my wig during Greece. I did like a dip oh, and my wig my fell gosh. off. And it's basically like a bald cap. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? That you're wearing. And so that was embarrassing. But you know, our understudies are on, which yeah. always change it up. Yeah. You're like, suddenly I'm falling in love with someone else today. Yeah. Cool. Okay. But that again, that's what keeps us all on our toes. Yeah. Doing that's it. part of the adrenaline, part yes. of the fun, I'm sure. For sure. Well, you mentioned Cinderella. I'm sure that was one of your biggest parts. I mean, it's every yeah. little girl's dream. It's Plus, magical. You are the co-creator and producer of Disney Princess, which is a concert tour. Who was your favorite princess as a kid? I think if I were to choose one that I related to most as a kid, it was probably Belle. Probably because I looked like she was yeah. the brunette. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Which is so weird that when you're a kid, like that's the thing you gravitate oh, towards. Oh, I was Belle, I'm, I think, when I was three or four. There I you don't go. know, Halloween. Yeah. There you go. Totally get it. But I grew up in like, definitely like the Ariel Belle oh, era. The best. Oh, so good. Talking I about know. rom-coms and I those know. old school I, Disney oh, movies. this is the best interview ever. I feel like all <laughs> we need is wine. Right. Uh, except that it's yeah. the morning time. Exactly. So Cinderella 
Cinderella. How long did you play her? I got to play Cinderella for a year. I did over 400 performances. crazy. It really was a dream come true. And every costume, you know, fitting that I had, getting to see these dresses come to life on me. And I developed the show for like a year and a half before it finally came to Broadway. So I was very invested in it. And seeing it come to life, the magic, the mice literally turning into horses, and the cast became so close, and the nature of the story we were telling was so inspiring. And My Cinderella especially, the script was rewritten. This was the first time the show had been done on Broadway, but it was based on the Rodgers and Hammerstein musical that was made for TV, which some of your listeners might know about. Originally, it was Julie Andrews' Mm -hmm. version that was made in the 50s, and then a version starring Leslie Ann Warren in the 70s, and then I grew up with the Brandy version in the 90s, Whitney Houston. Yes. So it was that version script rewritten for Broadway and story fleshed out to be a full two-hour musical instead of a 90-minute made-for-TV. Theme throughout the show was that Cinderella was known throughout the land for her charity, generosity, mm, and kindness. Yeah. And I thought, what beautiful slippers to get to step into. Oh, yes. to, to, you know, hit the nail on the head. Exactly. And then at the end of the show, she, she gets to say, every day on, on a Broadway stage, I got to say, I will now say the most three powerful words I know, I forgive you, to the stepmother who like basically says, I'm sorry that I was so rude to you for so many years. And she says, I forgive you. And I was just like, what a beautiful message to get to send. And it was really a joy to get to play a character like that for a year. That's so wonderful. And I didn't know it was rewritten. That's so cool to sort of get to be the next wave of who is Cinderella for this generation. That's exactly it. And this Cinderella was lovely and gentle and kind, but also a little more empowered. Yeah. You know, at the end of act one, and I'm not giving it away because it happened 10 years ago, (laughs) but she loses the slipper on the stairs after running out of the ball and runs back and grabs the slipper. And then it's intermission and the audience is like, what? That's not how the story goes. (laughs) Exactly. And then there's a whole nother event in act two where she goes back to the prince in the palace and realizes that the shoe can be a way for him to find her (gasps) and takes it off her foot on purpose and leaves the shoe on the stair on purpose. So there's just a little more, you know, female empowerment and choice involved. (laughs) I love it. Basically, she asked him out. She just tricked him into thinking that he did. Exactly. I love this version. (laughs) I also wanted to ask in that season when you did that show, that was not long after you lost your mother. Did it feel like an escape to you? I know you said you're very close with that cast. Did it contribute to your healing in any way? Or did you feel like, I don't even have time to grieve no, or def- breathe? Definitely. I actually lost my mom when I was doing a production of Anything Goes. And my character's name was Hope. And that was a bright, bubbly show as well and a great escape. And then Cinderella was like a year and a half after I lost my mom. And I remember doing Cinderella and thinking, I get two mothers mm. in this in this musical. I have a fairy godmother and I have a stepmother. And even though she's posing as evil stepmother, yeah. <laughs> Harriet Harris, the actress playing her, was absolutely incredible. And I found I just found that God provided mother figures mm. in my life, even though I w- had experienced you know, losing my mom in my real life. Every show I've done, even in Bonnie and Clyde, I had a mom. In Anything Goes, I had a mom. In South Pacific, we don't see her parents, but she talks about her mother and she writes, she reads a letter that she wrote to Mm. her mother. And then Cinderella, I got two mothers. And then in Bandstand, which was after Cinderella, I had a mother. And so every role I played, and no fathers, no fathers in any of these. (laughs) So 
like it was always God just provide. I often think of that where I'm like, God just always gave me motherly figures to take mm-hmm. care of me, you know, in my career, as well as, you know, my, my mother-in-law, my husband's mom yeah. is absolutely amazing. And my parents divorced when I was two. So my parents were separated mm-hmm. my whole life, but my dad kind of remained single and found my stepmom, Carol, probably like 12 years ago, around the time my mom was sick. So now I have my stepmom as well, and she's wonderful. So yes, God has more than filled my mother quota. Obviously, no one can replace my real mom, but I think it's cool how he provides in that way. Well, and honestly, I just appreciate you saying that so much and sharing that because that is truly the heartbeat of what I want people to hear from this show is that tragedy happens, life is hard, loss is inevitable. We grieve, but we have a choice even in that grief to choose the little joys that God does provide. And the fact that you chose to enjoy these two women on stage as mother figures and lean into that and not let that turn you toward bitterness that you no longer had this life with your mom, I just admire that. And I think that's what I hope people hear in every one of our guests is that you have a choice. You have a choice. And that God puts those seeds and you can seek them or ignore them. And then these are our choices. I think that's exactly it. You know, I called Victoria Clark Mama Bear. She was Sweet. she played the the fairy godmother. And, you know, I it did help that all of these women were incredibly caring, nurturing, lovely people. I had yeah. good relationships with them. So that was a gift for sure. I am curious, is Broadway does it have this family feel at the heart of it? Or cause it could be a very, very competitive environment. And I'm sure it's both to an extent. Yes. My immediate response to your answer was like, yes, of course you become a family. Obviously you do life with these people day in and day out and you sign on to a show for a year and you see each other through a lot of life. A lot of things happen in a year, family loss or babies being born, people getting married, you know, sickness and health. Like you you really do face a lot with each other. But I would say overall, the competitive nature of it kind of comes with the territory. You know, that's going to be part of it. So some of my friends are the people I, I'm friends with them because I see them at every audition. Right. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? It's like that's how you kind of, you know, get to know people sometimes. And yes, maybe there's an underlying kind of competition, air of competition. And yet you really do, you find your people. Yeah. For sure. How would you encourage people who they may not be on Broadway, they may not be in acting or singing, or they may not be in entertainment, but the, every industry is competitive in its own way. Absolutely. As a believer, I think you. seem to do so well to commit yourself to, you know, what we call the fruits of the spirit. You are loving and joyful and it seems patient and generous with people. And I think that there is a fear when we try to maintain that character that we'll lose out on opportunities, right? Mm Because we're not fighting as hard as other people. Have you experienced that? Or how would you encourage people like, no, your character is not going to compromise what you can do? I have found that as I have tried to in all my ways, acknowledge him. He has directed my path. And there have been things I've turned down that I felt would compromise Mm. those beliefs and those values. And I feel like God like rewarded me tenfold Mm. for trying to act in obedience to what I felt he was saying. Every job becomes an opportunity or every audition or every, everything becomes an opportunity to seek the Lord. And it's not about climb. I mean, yes, but it's not about like climbing the ladder and doing the thing. And it's like, Lord, do you want me to do this? Yeah. Are you, and I also learned that not every open door means you should walk through it. Oh, wow. <laughs> there, and that's I've, the hardest. I know. I've learned that the hard way too. Yeah. And I've also had to close doors that opened that I knew God was like, 
I don't feel peace about this. So it's learning to discern his voice and what he's saying. And I've also walked through things that I didn't pray about. And then as I was doing them going like, I don't think this was God's best for me. Yeah. So I would, as my advice would be to, at the end of the day, trust who you are in God's eyes and don't try to be someone else. Be confident in who you are and the gifts God gave you and how he made you. If you keep showing up and you're patient and you learn those lessons of humility early on and you try to acknowledge him in every choice that you're making in your career, he will direct your path and he will reward that. Mm, Yes, it's so true. It's so true. I think that's the easiest thing is to blaze through a door and try to pull God along with you. It's like that doesn't that doesn't normally work out. Well, as beautiful as your years on Broadway were, and this was a family for you, and this was home. Some really hard things happened in the last couple years, which selfishly, I'm glad you're in Nashville. I don't know (laughs) if that was the catalyst to it, but. Do you want to tell us, kind of walk us through a little bit of that and what brought you to Nashville and what led into your new album, which I want to talk all about? Thank you. It's very like bittersweet talking about the Broadway thing because I did have such a wonderful string of success there and that was my dream and I loved it and I felt God used me there while I was there and all of a sudden it was taken away and it's easy to look back and go like, why, God? Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm only just now. I've been here a year. It all happened a year ago, and I'm beginning to see like some of that silver lining. But essentially what happened last summer is I was pretty kind of publicly canceled, I guess, in the newspaper in New York. I had to back out of a one-night concert that I had agreed to do that suddenly the venue was mandating. It was in East Hampton. And I was kind of doing it as a favor for a friend. And the director emailed me privately and was seeking everybody's status because – and I was honest. I actually – I told the truth and tried to be honorable in it. And I said, you know what? I'm not currently vaccinated and I guess I'll have to miss this one. It was a Mm -hmm. one night thing. And the director totally understood, was very respectful. And we, you know, mutual respect went our separate ways. And then a week later, there was an article in the post saying, the New York Post, page six, gossip column, saying I was fired for refusing to be vaccinated. And the article made it seem as though I was vague with my status and I, as a result, was putting my castmates in danger. And we hadn't even started rehearsal yet. And it also, I never was given the option to test. I had been testing regularly to work throughout COVID, happy to test. And I was not even given that option. And the article made it seem like I was unwilling to test. And it very much attacked my character and my reputation, which is very important to me. And I felt I had established in my 15 years working in the industry and suddenly this one thing caused everyone to kind of turn against me. And for some reason, it spread like wildfire and reached millions and every every news outlet picked it up and twisted it in their Mm. version of what they thought with their opinion and their views on this. And New York and the theater industry is very, it was kind of one narrative goes. And I'm never very publicly political ever, like Uh about anything. And I think that my silence became violence to them. And because I wasn't parroting a certain narrative, I wasn't telling anybody or forcing anybody to do anything or even talking about that. But because I wasn't talking about it, I think there was a target on my back and that happened and life shifted and it was no longer safe and appropriate for us to be in New York. And we came kind of escaped down to Nashville and Honestly, this has been the most welcoming, incredible place to be. It has been so healing being here. We love it here so much. And 
yeah, as you said, like, I feel like God has us here for a reason. And I don't think I ever would have considered leaving. I thought I was a lifer there. And I feel like that, you know, I saw this for my life and that's what I was going to do the rest of my life. And God is in this season of expanding Mm. my vision and my view of what he is calling me to. And it's scary, but it's refining me and stretching me in ways I never thought possible. Well, like I said, selfishly, I'm glad you're here and I'm glad y'all are enjoying it, but I'm so sorry for everything that you had to go through. And I just, I think these sort of things trigger me more than probably others just because of the family I grew up in and dad being in the spotlight. And thankfully he's very quiet and very private and the height of his career was before social media. So those pressures weren't, but I have, I've lamented even for like, you know, I'm friends with Thomas Rhett's wife. She does a lot of charity work around here that we work with. And I've told her, I was like, man, I'm so, I don't mean this bad, but I'm so glad my mom didn't have to do what you're doing, you know, in the nineties and deal with all this and are your children public? Anyway, I'm not going to get on my soapbox about that, but I I just, I have such empathy for that and just having to navigate, you know, you should, you should be, you should do your job, which is entertaining. And I wish people had respect for that boundary. And it's just, Thank it doesn't really exist anymore. Yeah, thank you for <laughs> yeah. saying that. I think like I did not volunteer to be put in this position right. of getting on a soapbox and standing for something like or advocating for mm-hmm. whatever this has become. And I, I feel like God is beginning to equip me. Like I don't feel equipped mm-hmm. to take a stand on anything. I, you know, it's like people, I got messages from people saying, thank you for being so strong. Thank you for taking a stand. And I'm like, I didn't try to. No, I, I wasn't didn't purposing do anything. To, exactly. Yeah. And yet was outed. And I did craft a response after that article came out last year thinking like, if I'm going down, like I'm standing for what I have a right to A, privacy. Right. And B, to make the decision that is mm-hmm. right for me. Yeah. And I'm not going to, succumb or hope this just goes away and fades away into the background. I'm actually like in a season of going, Lord, why did this have to happen? And I don't, if it, because it had to happen, I want to use it somehow for your glory. How are you going to use it? This is a story that has to be told. And it's now been a year and I'm finally beginning to talk about it. And part of that is through the music that yes, I made and this it's, last year. Oh my gosh. It speaks to it so beautifully. And I just immediately think of, I think you referenced it earlier, thick skin, soft heart. And it's like, my gosh, how hard is that? And honestly, I think what a lot of people who maybe feel like they've gone through something, whether on the scale that you have or just in their neighborhood or with people, like everyone's victimized immediately if they say anything that doesn't align with what the other person thinks, right? Everybody has faced adversity at some point in their life. And I think the question is like, okay, why keep a soft heart when there's so much outrage and you can be canceled or you can be left out of the mom's group because you said one thing wrong? Like, why should we keep a soft heart? You know, because the thick skin is what protects us, right? And it's hard to do both at the same time. You're absolutely right. And I think there's something about holding on to bitterness that feels really good. I wrote a song called Bitter too, and we'll get to that. But It's my favorite one. (laughs) It is. It's beautiful. It, it's true. And honest. It's, it's honest. That's yes. It's where I was in that moment. And, you know, there's something to be said for that. Again, everybody has maybe gone through an experience in their life where they can, they need that song to yeah. be able to relate to in that moment. But I think it, it feels really good to hold on to bitterness for a while. It's like you want people to know how hard it was. You mm-hmm. too. Yeah. You're like, if you heal too quickly, people will be like, oh, it wasn't that bad then. <laughs> right. You know? And you're like, no, this broke me. This ruined my identity was in that. I had to figure out who I was, who I am. I'm still learning that. Without without that, without your husband, without my career, what am I worth? And 
God, yeah, I just feel like is in a season of growing that for me and expanding that vision. And you can't go through life jaded because of your experiences. You talked about fruits of the spirit and it's like, we are called to live above that. And it's in that fire and in that hardship that I feel like God shows up the most and carries us through and builds our endurance, builds our strength, builds our perseverance and makes us look more like him. Yes. If we're willing I hate that it has to happen that way. One of my best friends who went through a rough divorce in the last couple of years, and we've really, not the same story, but a similar loss, and we've really walked through all that together. She's like, ugh, I get it, God, you're making me better, but couldn't you refine me at a spa day? And I'm like, <laughs> God, I wish that were true, and it's yes. just not. But like, God, why couldn't this happen at a spa day? Yes, you know? I do sometimes ask God. <laughs> like, I see him looking down and going like, Laura, I'm so sorry that it had to happen yeah, this way. Yeah, for sure. But I honestly think it would have taken something this drastic mm-hmm. for me to consider leaving yeah. what I did. And yeah, it's cool the way he works. He works in really mysterious ways, and yet his plans are higher. Yeah. He knows more than we do. A mentor told me once that when you walk with the Lord, when you hit rock bottom, he is the soft place to land. And I'm like, it does take rock bottom to yeah. really come to that place of trust and surrender with him. And it's scary and no one wants it or chooses it, but here we are. Right. And there's goodness. You mentioned bitter. It really is my, they're all wonderful. I'm so excited. The whole album is called On the Other Side and people can get it. Right, everywhere. everywhere. It's on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon, everywhere. Bitter is beautiful. I think growing up in a country music, old school country music family, like I love ballads. I love <laughs> minor keys. You know, I like the hard. So I like the happy songs that on the pump up days. Right, but right. I love the hard ones. How would you speak to people who may be in that still bitter season? Because yeah. I think, like you said, you don't want to dismiss the real pain and betrayal that you felt, but also you don't want to be a victim to it. So, oh, like, what is that? balance. It's, oh, it's been hard, like, yeah, to avoid the victimhood because you realize like God is still good and he's done amazing things and like, I'm okay and I'm going to be okay. But everyone has their hardship and I just have a new sense of grace. I feel like Mm -hmm. for everybody who's going through Mm -hmm. things or seems to be in a bitter season or whatever. I think bitter actually started out as a song called Grateful. Oh, wow. (laughs) And the chorus. Hard turn. Yes. The (laughs) the chorus was actually about like, even though I feel like I've gone through this breakup, essentially, Mm -hmm. I'm choosing to be grateful and I'm trying to find the silver lining. Because I was like, what kind of message do I as a believer want to put out there? Yeah with my music. And I don't need to write overtly Christian music or Christian songs, but I want to have redemptive messages in my songs. I want to. And we wrote that version. And as I left the session, I was like, my heart, like, it's not truthful. I'm not actually Mm. grateful yet that this happened to me. Yeah. (laughs) And so maybe we'll write the grateful song, you know, soon. But we, I re-met with my co-writers, Jay Denton and Aubrey Toon helped me write this song and they're incredible. And Aubrey took a stab at some chorus lyrics that I started crying and I was like, this, Mm. this is where I'm at. This is real. This is my truth right now. Mm -hmm. And I felt kind of weird putting that out in the world going, is it okay to write a song about this? And all of the people surrounding me, my collaborators were like, yes, it is okay. This, you have to write from a truthful place. And if you deny the truth or then that's not genuine. Yeah. And if that's where you are today, then someone else I can guarantee you in the world is going through that same thing and needs to hear this song. Yeah. So I began to just trust my truth and I have a balance of uplifting, yes. you know, songs on there and I, and a balance of truthful, you know, 
this was hard. Yeah. And we're just going to live in that hardship for a second. I think that's why I identified with that one so much is that we talked about before. I think the tendency for me has always been just push through and, and, and weakness slows you down and weakness is bad. And I think having gone through everything I did and hearing the song and knowing your story, it's like, it honestly takes more strength to pause and be honest about your hurt than it does to just, oh, I'm grateful and put a little faith bandaid on it. Like For that sure. doesn't work. Exactly. And yeah. I thought I could, and I thought yeah. I wanted to, and that that was the expectation of me yeah, who's sure. bubbly like yes. you. And like, oh, if anyone's, if anyone can do it, Laura can. Yes. And you're like, oh my gosh, it just, well, yeah, that was not the case. Yeah. I actually have a sixth bonus track that I'm going to release early next year. It's called Every Piece. And there's a lyric in there that's like, I try so hard to hide in a smile. It lasts for a while, mm. but you see through the cracks in my walls. And it's just like, you know, you're right. You want to mm-hmm. put the faith bandaid on and go like, everything's fine and it's good. And although I trusted God through it all and he was close, it doesn't negate the brokenness no. that happened and the betrayal that I felt. And I finally got to share that in the music. I felt pretty silenced for a year on social media. Every time I would post, it was met with hatred and vitriol. And I, so music really, songwriting kind of became my outlet, my place to share my heart and Finally, a year later, got to share it with the world. That's so good. Y'all have to go look this up because it is, this is permission for anyone who is in that place to feel it, to grieve, and to know that, you know, there is gratitude on the other side of the bitterness, but if that's yeah. not the side you're on, that's you're, that's okay. That's okay too. And it's a process. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, you too. Like, I think I'm like, I look back and I go, it's been a year, which feels like forever. And yet, in the grand scheme of life, it's not. Like, there's still so much to look forward to. And you too, in your healing process, you're now four, four, four years. years and recently engaged. And you're like, what? how much healing right. that must have had to happen in those four years? And I'm like, okay, I'm one year in. Like, how? where will I be four years from now yeah. healed from this? And the redemption, the hope that's going to continue to come. Totally. Oh, I'm just... I'm so inspired by you. I am so glad we're friends. I know. Like we have to do this again in the evening and we'll have wine. Okay. Okay. Quick <laughs> rapid fire questions at the end. Are you ready? Okay. Okay. Great. What is your favorite and least favorite thing about Nashville? Ooh, okay. I think my favorite thing has been the kindness of people. Like we have just, I just felt like people have been so welcoming, open arms and in a season when I really needed it, you know, I've been so, so grateful for that. We kind of found community, like immediately God brought us people. And I don't know. I mean, there, there's not much to complain about yet. I have to say, let's have that that recap in a year yes, with okay. wine. And I'll, we'll I'll let you know if there's anything. Find that, all the flaws with our city. <laughs> exactly. Because exactly. everybody loves it now. And I'm like, I remember thinking as a native and growing up here, it's like, what do all these people see in Nashville that I don't see? And now I obviously get it. But it's it's been a crazy past 10 years We've here, met a few people who awesome. have said that. They're like, why yeah. Nashville? And I'm like, oh my gosh, why not? Like, I live in <laughs> yeah. Franklin. And yeah. it's just, it's... A, such a charming town and it's so peaceful. There's mm-hmm. just such peace yes, in I my agree. spirit. I wake up every morning with peace, which I didn't really have for like 15 years. Yeah, I love New York. I felt called to New York and I knew we were supposed to be there, but like peace is not peace the word. Peace is not the number one descriptor. <laughs> yeah, no. exactly. Exactly. Okay. If you could play across from any lead, one male, one female, who would you choose? Oh my gosh. Film, stage, anything. Oh my gosh. Well, now that I'm here, I feel like, and I'm branching into music, I'm like, if if I could do like something with Reba or like Dolly oh, yeah. or something, like that would be, I mean, just so dreamy. Not that I'm like a bona fide like country star overnight. That's not really <laughs> where I'm heading. But like, I've always, yeah, I just think now that I'm here, like, 
dreams are beginning to totally. shift. Like I'm in, a, I'm in a different direction. I, I've always. This is so weird because John, I've always been a fan of Johnny Depp and I know now he's like controversial, but has come out yeah. also on the other side right. of his thing. Yes. But I'm like, oh, like that would be crazy. And then honestly, like working with friends is, oh, is honestly what I love. Like my dear friend, Corey Cott, we did the last Broadway show we did together, Bandstand. We were supposed to do a Hallmark movie together and then schedules misaligned and uh, he ended up not being able to do it. And I'm like, Corey, I'm like still like Corey and I yeah. do the Hallmark movie together or like, what What can we do? Like working with people you That's love, fun. you already love. Yeah. As opposed to like someone you don't know who's famous is also just a gift. Would you ever play a villain if you could? I, sure. That's like I, my dream. Not that I'm an actress, but I'm yeah. like, I feel like that would be so fun. <laughs> Would be too. I think I'm worried that like my nature, like I just come across so like girl next door. <laughs> just be I'm smiling like, the whole time yeah. with these horribly mean lines. I'm like, would I be a believable villain? Yeah. I did get to play Bonnie Parker, who, you know, has a dark side yes. to her. And that was, yeah, it was kind of, it was fun. Yeah. It was a great edgy. challenge. Edgy. Yeah. Edgy. I would, yes, I'm all, I'm all down for playing yeah. like definitely like edgy. And if you sit down to watch a movie or series with your hubs, what, what's y'all's go-to? Oh, we, I mean, we loved like Friday Night Lights oh. was totally our like, Let our me just jam. tell you something. Coach Taylor, I don't know what it is. Like he's not the most attractive. He's just a very kind of like middle of the road, right. frumpy coach. So yet, hot. Uh, completely. Like, I'm with you. I think it's the demeanor. I don't know. It's his, his yes, Call you're, his personality makes me. him attractive. Yes. You're like, I want to know that human. I want to be best friends yes. with that human. I want that human to know me. I know. <laughs> um, we actually named our dog Lila after Sweet. Lila Garrity. Um, so yeah, we loved Friday Night Lights. We also got really into 24 for a while. Remember when that was the thing? Yeah, yeah. Uh, nowadays, I feel like we watch cooking shows. Like if we're just like home, we'll turn on like Food Network. And, I love like, Food Network. Bobby Flay and like MasterChef and... All that stuff. Y'all cook a lot, yeah. We do, yeah. Okay, My husband is awesome. like is a total chef, and that's I'm a I'm sous chef. It uh, is yeah. a gift. It's fun. Oh, it's great, and we finally have a kitchen here that we can yes, like make also things. Also, a pro in. of Nashville. Ex There's space here. Exactly. Yeah. Our, we lived in a postage stamp. We had a postage stamp kitchen <laughs> in New York for like 13 years. It was literally like two square feet. It was a little box. Of that's a tough. The options are limited. Okay, how we always end the show. What's one thing, big or small, serious or superficial, doesn't matter. That's bringing you joy right now. Uh, honestly, it's it's friends, it's community. Again, we just have found such a beautiful group of people down here. And I think again, being in New York for fifteen years, great. We had great friends there as well for that season. But I feel like God's bringing richer relationships mm. into our life here. And it's only been a year. And like we have friends, most of our friends have kids. My husband and I don't have kids yet. So like, you know, it's little things like that. Where it's like we went to our friend's kid's school play last week and feeling like we're auntie, oh, um, which sweet. is so great. And that. we do have family in Memphis. So oh, um, we do go visit them. Nate, It's Nate's side of the family. And it's been so great to see them once or twice a month instead of once a year. Yeah. And so getting to see my nephews grow up too is super special. Well, I think that's encouragement to anyone who's new anywhere is that, that God can always bring good community. That has to be scary moving to a brand new place and yeah. not having that. And we're lucky that, I mean, in the fact that we don't have kids, we just like said yes to everything. Like, yes. it's not like, oh, we had to stay home, get babysitters all the time. Like, we were just like, yes, the minute sure. we got invited to anything, we yep. just went out and we it's like, good. God brought the most amazing people. And well, he's still doing it, which is so cool. 
I'm so glad you're here. Here in Nashville, here with me, here with all of our Enjoy Life fam. I'm really grateful for your time. Thank you so much, Maddie. I'm so honored to know you and to get to be on this podcast and share our stories together. Appreciate it. Ditto. This show is produced and edited by Elizabeth Evans Media Productions. Hey, y'all, if you're loving the show, go find that little follow button or plus sign on your podcast app. This will ensure you don't miss a single episode. See you next time.